everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. Hello, and welcome to The Katie Halper Show. I'm so excited to be talking to you. We have a great show for you today. We have an amazing guest. I'm so excited to be talking to Loki, and we're going to tell you more about him shortly, but you probably already know who he is because he's pretty impressive, well-known. Lots of fans of his are already in the chat, so we're very excited about that. This is, of course, The Katie Halper Show, and right now, please like this stream right now. Just hit a like, give it a thumbs up, give it a like. Also, subscribe. We're almost at 70,000 followers. So excited about that. So make sure you just hit the subscribe and then you hit the bell. Make sure you become Patreon supporters if you can. That's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. You help make the show happen. And when you become Patreon supporters at the $5 level, you get access to extended interviews and exclusive content, which is really great. I highly recommend it. Of course, I'm a little biased, but I do think it's a great thing to do. You can also become YouTube members. And to do that, you just become a member and you get cool things like uh, badges and emojis. And that's about it. So again, make sure that you like the stream. It's an easy way to support the stream and beat back the algorithm, which as we know is very problematic. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in our guest, Loki. Welcome, Loki. Hi, thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate you having me today. Of course. And I'm just going to share some of Loki's very impressive biography. He is a British Iraqi hip-hop artist, academic, and political campaigner. He is a patron of the Stop the War Coalition, Palestine Solidarity Campaign, the Racial Justice Network, and the Peace and Justice Project, founded by Jeremy Corbyn. He has a master's in Middle Eastern studies from SOAS University and is an advisor to the website Declassified, which investigates the activities of the Ministry of Defense and British Intelligence Services. He's spoken and performed on platforms from the Oxford Union to the Royal Albert Hall and Glastonbury. His latest album, Soundtrack to the Struggle 2, featured Noam Chomsky, Frankie Boyle, and Ken Loach and has been streamed millions of times. He produces and hosts his own weekly podcast for Mint Press and has interviewed U.S. Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Roger Waters, Noam Chomsky, Naomi Klein, Ahed Tamimi, Ken Loach, and Stella Morris, who is Julian Assange's partner, as people know from my own show and from Useful Idiots. And one sign of Loki's bona fides is that he has been canceled. People have attempted to cancel him. People have attempted to cancel his events. They've smeared him. They've censored him. We're going to get into a particular censorship campaign that's going on right now. But that, of course, is a sign that you are doing something right when you have provoked the ire of the establishment, the political establishment, and the media establishment, which, of course, Loki has. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you very much for the great introduction. It's an impressive one. So I had to squeeze it in there. Wanted to make sure everyone knew. So there are so many things we could talk about. I want to talk to you about how you got into music. But first, I want to talk about the most recent thing that's going on for you, which is yet another campaign to silence you and censor you and portray you as something that you're not, which is an anti-Semite. And the only thing you have to do to get that reputation is to believe that Palestinians are human beings and make the case that they're human beings. So 
I'll let you tell the story of where we are right now in the attempt to get you removed from Spotify. Well, where we are, it's important that we clearly describe what BICOM and its child, um, we believe in Israel, um, is. What are these things? These are Israel lobby groups. Uh, BICOM, the Britain-Israel Communications and Research Center, was founded by Conservative Party donor Pojo Zabludovich. Uh, Pojo Zabludovich is the son of the founder of Soltam Systems, which was later absorbed into Elbit Systems, major arms company. Um, and the project of BICOM, we believe in Israel, is lobbying Spotify to remove my music from the platform with the charge that my music incites violence um, towards Israelis and Jewish people around the world. A very, very serious charge. Definitely one that I think they would struggle making a case for in the court of law. But there seems to be the space within Spotify's regulatory system that could essentially, I would say, we believe in Israel, are jockeying for the position of expert on this matter to Spotify. Now, when we look at the history of this organization, we have to start with Bicom. Bicom according to its former director, Daniel Sheck, closely works with APAC. Um, as he said, APAC is assisting BICOM with developing grassroots networks in Britain. One of those is likely to have been, we believe, in Israel. Also, two fellows of BICOM, Michael Herzog and Tal Becker, are also simultaneously fellows of the APAC think tank, the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. Um, and Daniel Sheck, after being the director of BICOM, went on to be the Israeli ambassador to France. We also know that historically, BICOM, you know, was founded as a crisis PR nerve center during the Second Intifada in Britain as a key way for Israel lobbyists to proselytize for Israel to main British media establishments. And in fact, in 2001, appointed as the director of BICOM, was a BBC editor by the name of Mark Berg. Now, Mark Berg not only worked for the BBC before he worked for BICOM, he then worked for the BBC after he worked for BICOM, going on to be involved in some of the BBC's most prominent and flagship shows like Hard Talk. Another figure who has been intimately involved in BICOM is Ruth Smith, this is someone who was appointed as Director of Public Affairs and Campaigns, and uh, Daniel Sheck was quoted as saying that she was appointed to strengthen the group's relations with the Foreign Office, party leaders, think tanks, and academia. But who is Ruth Smith? Well, she was an MP for Labour that was revealed by WikiLeaks in a U.S. embassy cable to be a strictly protect informant of the U.S. government. Her husband also works for the British American Project, which is an organization which attempts to drag the left towards the orthodoxies of NATO and the U.S. government. It's funded by the U.S. Embassy and BAE Systems. In terms of the closeness of BICOM to the Israeli government, we know that in 2006, when the Israeli ambassador to Italy visited Britain, Gideon Meir was accompanied by a representative of BICOM. 
In addition to that, it's been reported that BICOM coordinated directly with the Israeli embassy in an anti-BDS campaign against those that voted for the academic boycott of Israel at Britain's university and college union. We also know they're closely linked to the conservative Friends of Israel, with several key figures in BICOM being involved in that grouping from Trevor Pierce, Michael Lewis, and of course, Pojo Zabludovic, uh, the founder of BICOM and the chair of it. Also, though, on the other hand, Ruth Smith was a Labour MP, Trevor Chin, who's also got a high position at BICOM. This uh, gentleman was a funder of Keir Starmer in the Labour Party. He even funded uh, Lisa Nandy, who, simultaneous to being funded by Israel lobbyist Trevor Chin, was actually the chair of Labour's Friends of Palestine organization. When you look at understanding BICOM, Tim Llewellyn, who was a former BBC correspondent and Middle East expert, had this to say about the organization. He said, organizations such as BICOM have hundreds of thousands of pounds at their disposal, much of it coming directly from the United States, which sends a third of its whole global foreign aid budget to Israel. This great flow of funds bypasses most ordinary Israeli citizens and Jews in Israel and elsewhere and goes straight to the projection of Zionist causes and colonialism wherever it might be needed. These funds prop up here in the United Kingdom, not just BICOM, but organizations such as Labour Friends of Israel, close to the heart of Tony Blair. It's also important to note that in 2011, Lorna Fitzsimmons, who was a former Labour MP, who was the chief executive of BICOM, attempted to send a, a mailing out to a mailing list of donors boasting about the access that BICOM had to the BBC, when in fact she sent it out to the media by a mistake. So clearly Tim Llewellyn would be somebody that had some experience of BICOM. Now, We Believe in Israel, which is the project of BICOM, is led by Luke Akehurst, who describes himself as formerly being a political consultant to defense companies about their sales to the MOD. He was a consultant to Finn Mechanica, which was an Italian arms company that had a $1 billion deal to supply training jets to the Israeli Air Force, according to the Financial Times. Finn Mechanica then merged to become Leonardo. Now, Leonardo not only is the world's ninth largest arms company, but it also is a long-standing partner of Raphael, which is an Israeli-owned defense company. When thinking about the links between Pojo Zabludovic, Sultan Systems, and of course Elbit Systems, we have to remember that I was intimately involved in the campaign of Palestine Action to shut down the Elbit Systems factory in Oldham, which was successful. Of course, this was major news, which was not covered anywhere in the mainstream media. What happened was there was a years-long campaign which involved people leafleting outside the factory in Oldham, people setting up a stall in the center of town, and ultimately mobilizations there on a weekly basis in tandem with Palestine Action taking direct action and getting in and shutting down the factory. Now, what that led to was Elbit Systems selling a subsidiary in Oldham, which it had procured previously for 12 million pounds, and it sold it for 9 million pounds. So it sold it at a loss. So there's really a clear 
relation between the campaign against me and the successes that we have been having recently. It's also important to get onto the way in which this charge of incitement is wielded first and foremost against the Palestinians under Israeli military control. So according to the Palestinian Prisoners Studies Center, you found that between 2015 and 2018, over 500 Palestinians, among them many children, were arrested by the Israeli military for the crime of quote-unquote incitement because of posts they put on social media, many of them being on Facebook. You know, in terms of the targeting of artists or literary figures, we obviously have the historical precedent of Najila Ali, who was assassinated in London. Um, we also have the case, uh, you know, he was a cartoonist. You also have the case of Hassan Kanafani. These are people who never touched a weapon in their lives. Um, a writer assassinated by Israel in Beirut. But also, in addition to that, you have Darin Tatur, who was a poet just in the last few years, who posted onto Facebook the poem, Qawim Ya Sha'bi Qawim, Resist My People, Resist Them. And she was arrested and went through a three year ordeal of prosecution and jail and house arrest. And what happened was when she was in prison, you know, this is one of the inspiring stories that I take from Darin Tatur's experience is when she asked for a pen and paper from her jailer, she was told, you, especially you, will not have a pen and paper. So what she resorted to was taking the zipper from her jacket and taking a paracetamol tablet and using it to write on the wall of her cell. You can see much of her work. When she actually got out of prison, eventually she was fantastically awarded the Oxfam Novid Pen Award for Freedom of Expression in The Hague. Of course, that did not receive much attention from the mainstream media, not her plight, nor her success in the end with winning that award. So what's happening and what's being attempted with me is merely an extension of what is happening to the Palestinians on a large and major scale. Thank you for that very profound and thorough update and explanation about what's happening. I wanted to ask you how people have been responding. I mean, we have this counter petition, right? So we have this attempt to get you removed from Spotify, but we also have people ranging from Roger Waters to Noam Chomsky, obviously Medea Benjamin, Mark Ruffalo, signing this petition telling Spotify not to cave to We Believe in Israel. So how has that been going? Well, I mean, it's been, to be honest, two key things have been established. The aim of campaigns like this, and unfortunately we've seen it take place with thousands of people in this country disqualified from political subjectivity during the Corbyn years, disqualified from having any type of political affiliation, um, and also in many cases their livelihoods taken away from them with similar kind of smear campaigns, the key target is to isolate that person from other people. And that is done through not only um, making them a sort of toxic person to be around by, and then smearing others by association. So as you will have seen, one of the key things that I've been attacked on is having anything to do with uh, David Miller, Professor David Miller, who was cleared by a QC-led 
investigation at Bristol of any type of racism whatsoever. Um, and of course, Chris Williamson, who clearly, you know, never, you know, Chris Williamson is absolutely quite clear cut, um, not a racist, but by mere association, as in quote unquote, sharing platforms in, in true McCarthyite style, these points were used to try and smear me. But the point is, is that we've now had this um, petition signed by almost 40,000 people, but among the people that signed it very early on are really, and this is not sort of boasting or overplaying it, some of the most prominent people actually in the world today, you know, some of them. You have the Princess of Jordan, for example. You have Avi Schleim, the Professor of International Relations at University of Oxford. You have um, Rabbi David Mivasaya. You have um, Nelson Mandela's grandson, a member of South African uh, Parliament. You have Ronnie Casserills, a former minister in the South African government. You have Leilani Farha, who is a former UN Special Rapporteur. You have Mark Seddon, who's a former speechwriter for UN Secretary General Ban Ki Moon. I mean, on top of that, you have a lot of people from Jewish Voice for Labour. You also have, of course, the Hollywood superstar Mark Ruffalo. You have Anwar Hadid, Mohammed Hadid, um, you know, major figures in the United States. Michael Malarkey from Vampire Diaries. You have Liam, Liam Cunningham from Game of Thrones. Miriam Margulies from Harry Potter. I mean, the list goes on of very well-known people on the music side of it. There are people who are worth tens of millions of pounds to Spotify, like Roger Waters, Anna Tijoux from Chile is another one, Brian Eno, UB40 on the UK hip-hop side of things. Of course, you've got legends like Charlie Sloth, Wretch32, Getz, Akala, K. Coke. You know, these are major um, sort of cultural figures. And for them to come out and sign a statement which clearly identifies the Israel lobby as attempting to censor me is a major game changer here. And you have to be absolutely clear about this. If you are in BICOM or are in We Are, um, We Believe in Israel, you have to understand very, very clearly that if you want more visibility and you want more people talking about the Israel lobby, then continue to attempt to censor me, then continue to smear me. Because what you will do is find that I'm not the one that's alienated and isolated. It's actually you that's alienated and isolated. I'm not the pariah. It's actually you that is now the pariah. I am not the accused. It's you that is the accused. And it's we who are the accusers. Because we're not playing this game anymore. We are not wedded and stapled to Corbynism. We are not. Okay? And, and the key orthodoxy of that political moment was not only never strike back and turn your cheek, it was never point to the direction from which these smears are coming. Never investigate these organizations who are mobilizing against you like a foreign intelligence agency. And the simple fact of the matter is, is every single one of those organizations which has targeted me I have investigated, I have files on them, I have information about them, and I have very, very clear links between them and the Israeli embassy and the JNF, which builds uh, settlements and ethnically cleanses Palestinian land. This is part of the reason why I have been targeted. But you will not silence me. 
You will not silence me. Let's be absolutely clear about that. There is nothing that you will say about me that will make me stop talking about what you are doing to people I consider my siblings. End of. In terms of this letter, we have been able to strike back. I've been very fortunate to be one of those people who has um, wide contacts and wide access to others. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a visibility, which means people such as yourself would, would sign it and would give me a platform. You know, But this has happened to thousands of people um, across these years in this country alone who have not had any support. And it's absolutely vital that not only do we document correctly what has happened, but also that we you know, take measures to try and support people that have had their livelihoods completely destroyed in, uh, in similar circumstances. And of course, you know, we have not seen any of the chorus of those um, who, who are um, full believers in the concept of cancel culture being someone saying something mean to them on Twitter because of something they've said. No, no, no. Cancel culture is the lobbying of institutions who then take measures which change your life. And this is real, really existing council culture, which we are living through. And as I say, I am fortunate because I am actually one of the least affected by it. You've seen it happen to councillors. You've seen it happen to activists on the ground. You've seen it happen to MPs. Um, livelihoods completely destroyed um, within this the midst of this situation to achieve a, a longer term political objective, which was the destabilizing, the debilitating of the Corbyn movement, which essentially was about the redistribution of political power within this society. What we did wrong is we underestimated the intransigence or in fact how dynamic or, or, or malignant the political establishment in this country was. We thought that it could absorb or assimilate the kind of ideas that we were talking about, major redistribution ideas we thought could be assimilated by the British establishment. We thought we could question the orthodoxy and the red lines, which are weapon sales to Saudi Arabia while it, it it destroys and kills Yemen on an industrial scale. We thought we could question the red line, which was Britain's um, incestuous and revolving door relationship with Israeli arms companies. We thought we could freeze all of that. We thought we could change that. We were naive. That's not the nature of British history. When you think about people getting the right to vote who are not landed gentry in this country, they had to struggle for 300 400 years to get that. Their struggle entailed them being killed, them being like William Cuffey, the leader of the Chartist movement, a black man, a disabled black man, who was not only arrested, but was actually sent to a penal colony in Tasmania, where the entire indigenous population were wiped out by their contact with the British Empire. Um, that is what the struggle for that kind of parliamentary representation 
um, was, you know, what did the, um, the suffragettes do, who everyone claims they supported? The suffragettes tried to push Winston Churchill under a train. The suffragettes threw bricks through, um, through, through Downing Street's windows. This is the reality of the history of this country. This is the reality of our political establishment. And unfortunately, we underestimated those forces. So you're talking about, when you say that we underestimated those forces, and when you're talking about Corbynism, you're talking about the way the left responded to the attacks on Jeremy Corbyn? I'm talking about including myself. We believe that it was possible to assimilate a movement with these kind of ideas into the British establishment and the political system. And it's partly because Britain has such a well-oiled PR machine about its own ideals and about what is possible within the society. But we actually have a very, very narrow um, uh, barrier of political possibility within this country. I also think, of course, that one of the orthodoxies of that political moment was never, never engage with what is happening head on, always attempt to appease, always attempt to sort of obfuscate. And, and, and that is the unfortunate loop and funk that many of us got into. And it meant that people were sacrificed um, in, terms of, in terms of their right to, to be political agents within this country, to have any involvement in what was happening politically. So, you know, this is the nature. It's uh, Sheldon Wallin called it inverted totalitarianism. And what he meant by that was that there were interests within the political system. So whereas traditional totalitarianism um, meant that economics was subject to politics. So the domination of the political sphere of everything in the society. Well, his thesis is that the, uh, the politics was subject to economics, meaning that you have particular economic interests within the society, particular industries, particular uh, lobby groups, for example, who are able to um, have themselves above the voting system, meaning you cannot vote against the interests of companies like BAE Systems. You cannot vote against the interests of companies like... Um, you know, big banking uh, behemoths. You cannot vote against these permanent interests at work behind the political system, and that's and that's what we what we are living in. We're going to keep talking, but I wanted to also give people a chance to hear some of your music. So, which is the most triggering to your haters? Long Live Palestine, Part One, Part Two, or Part Three? I mean, I would play part three because it's the one I'm most proud of. You know, it's worth remembering that they're trying to... And the, the initial statement from We Believe in Israel was that my presence on the platform is particularly offensive. But a lot of the criticism is based on a song which is almost 14 years old now. So we're going to watch Long Live Palestine part three. Brad, if you could cue that up. And while we do that, everyone who hasn't already liked this or hasn't already tweeted about this or hasn't already shared this on Facebook... Make sure that you do that while we listen to this. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget to feed the pigeons. As you wage your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who fight for peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. 
as you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself with metaphors, think of others, those who have lost their right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself and say, if only I were a candle in the night. This is for Palestine, of course, the capital Jerusalem Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine, of course, the capital Jerusalem Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer Long live Palestine, long live Gaza All you see is war Every time you turn your head and Bloodshed on the floor Mother cries, who cries for her this time There's truth between these walls See the lies between the lines They hide where the bullets coming from From the tyrants dressed in our disguise I'm gonna ride until the end Even if I get a pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free But still you know that I'm a rider till the end even if I got the pushback for all my friends Cause you know that I'm a fighter Let me see a lighter And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free Don't you not know, taught to be blind, taught to not care Tell me what's real, borderline's military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the house supposed to live? Don't you not know, taught to be blind, taught to not care Tell me what's real, borderline's military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear Take away your home, where's the house supposed to live? Could resist without a wheelchair Ten year challenge, tell Rick if we are still here And tell that killer Netanyahu he should feel fear The old live through us and guarantee the children will care Criminal, not invincible and you know it Samadun, Samadun still sitting in their stoic May not feel us with you when you listen to our poems You inspire humanity, your resistance is heroic Regardless of talk, here's time we answer the call Through your strength of spirit you provide example for all How to live, how to love when attacked from the clouds above Loud and clear the song your son can't be drowned by the sound of guns Won't just watch your tragic times through a satellite dish The least that we can give you is an anthem like this They panic, try to analyse and sanitise this But we love you more than ever still Palestine lives oppression of the Palestinians, encircling of the people of Gaza, the killing of civilians, the burning of homes, 
the daily oppression, the theft of land, the apartheid system in the West Bank where there are two road systems, and I've been, and I'm sure you have, and you see the, the, the Israeli road, you see like a, a spanking new highway with just the settler cars going backwards and forwards, then you see the old Palestinian roads, and it's clearly, it's, it's people living under two sets of laws, it's an apartheid system. So all this is being uncovered, and the boycotts and divestment and sanctions campaign, which I support and I'm sure many other people do, as a peaceful protest against the Israeli oppression. Support groups have got to keep proclaiming the rights of the Palestinians are the right to return, the right to um, the right to their homeland, really. And um, and the theft of land is Israel is breaking international law. It is breaking the Geneva Convention. That was great. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. That's very moving. I, I would just request if we were going to play another song of mine, it would be amazing to play Ghosts of Grenfell at some point, if that was possible. Yeah, we can cue that up. Brad, can you find that? So that was wonderful. And uh, anything that you want to tell people about that video, about that song, what inspired you to make that? Well, I mean, at that time, we were demonstrating um, outside the Israeli embassy. But I think what we need in terms of pro-Palestinian activism in the country is a bit of a cultural change, which says that we now look at the 10 sites for Elbit Systems, Israel's largest arms manufacturer, which has numerous deals with the Ministry of Defense across the country. You know, you have to remember that the largest union in this country, UNITE, voted unanimously, its members voted for BDS in um, 2010. However, it hasn't been implemented, meaning that you very likely have members of the United Union building weapons which are being sent to be used against Palestinians. Um, so it's absolutely imperative that we focus more energy on those factories and Palestine Action have launched a fantastic campaign where they have been shutting down uh, numerous factories continuously. In fact, during the last campaign in Gaza in 2021, um, where Israel killed hundreds of people, 66 of them were children, um, you saw Palestine Action shut down an Elbit Systems factory for six consecutive days. Obviously, you also in Italy saw dock workers refusing to load weapons onto ships that were to be sent to the Israeli state. In addition to that, I do hope that more of our pro-Palestinian work in the country can be aimed at the organizations which form the Israel lobby in this country. And at very, very least, we need a greater criticality about what exactly it is that Israel does and how it projects its will in this country in different ways. Yeah, and of course, something that is very frustrating, I think, about the suggestion that criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic is that that itself is an anti-Semitic trope, right? It's this idea, I mean, anti-Semites for years, for centuries, have been making this, well, in this case, okay, for, for decades, because of the founding of Israel, but even before the founding of Israel, this was suggested that there was this dual loyalty, right? That like being Jewish meant you had a certain idea about the government of Israel. And that, of course, is an offensive thing in the first place. It suggests that Jews are a monolith and that we all have the same ideas, beliefs, and also that all Jews consider Israel to be 
their home and also all Jews consider the Israeli government to be legitimate. And that, of course, again, is a very problematic thing to suggest. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you disfigure anti-Zionism as anti-Semitism, not only do you unpeople what are 12.5 million Palestinians, that's the global population of, of Palestinians, you say that them being opposed to the imposition of a state on top of them is somehow um, rooted in an irrational hatred of other people. But on top of that, you invisibilize a strong Jewish tradition of anti-Zionism, which actually even includes the person who coined the phrase Zionism. So Nathan Birnbaum is somebody who's been largely written out of Zionist history, unfortunately, but he's, he's known, he's well known. He was a peer of Theodore Herzl, of Leo Pinsker, some of the earliest Zionist thinkers. But um, uh, what Nathan Birnbaum came to the conclusion after coining the phrase Zionism, he became later on an anti-Zionist. And so what you have is this sort of attempt to Martin Buberize the Zionist movement. Let's remember Martin Buber was somebody who believed in peaceful immigration um, as, a, as a sort of spiritual process aside from state building. Now, he was a, had a very small, small minority within the Zionist movement in the early 1900s. However, what we have to be clear about is today, the person who has the most streets, hospitals, schools, cinemas, and parks named after them in the state of Israel is Vladimir Jabotinsky. Now, Vladimir Jabotinsky was the far right of the Zionist um, movement, you know, from the what was seen to be the left, which was Ben-Gurion and Jabotinsky on the right. Both of them had um, a consensus, there was a consensus across the Zionist movement that the Palestinians were indigenous people and force was needed to impose this new reality upon them. And when we look at what is dominant in Israeli politics, it is Jabotinskyites, you know, from Netanyahu to Naftali Bennett, these people are adherents to Jabotinsky's ideas about the Iron Wall, about the use of force, and about the necessity for arms, essentially. So, um, you know, we also have to be clear about what Zionism is and not really allow the conversation to become about people's temporary feelings because feelings change. You know, the material reality is what it is. The material reality is that three quarters of a million Palestinians in the Nakba of 1948 were displaced by this idea. Um, you know, and continuously we are seeing people displaced by this idea. And, you know, for us to see the Palestinians as human beings, as you put so um, articulated so well, is seen as just literally beyond um, uh, reasonable, beyond reasonable for us to see Palestinians as humans. But we have to con continue to assert their humanhood in the face of this uh, situation. What turned you into the activist and the performer that you are? Were you interested in politics and music at the same time? Did one follow the other? Well, I mean, you also have to remember that as much as we inherit a lot of ideas from the defeats 
of generations that came before us. We are also products of our time. So the context in which I came of age was, of course, the war on terror, which um, entailed the dropping of, on average, 46 bombs per day. Um, it entailed the killing of millions of people and the displacement of many millions more. And these were people that I felt I had an affinity with. And so in that situation where the state which governs you assumes a, a violent posture towards people that you feel are close to you, you really don't have much choice but to be politicized. It's the society that then politicizes you. It's not you that sort of has any choice in, in deciding to, to, you know, be a political animal, as it were. But also on top of that, when one looks to take it even further, and perhaps it could lead in to the showing of the ghosts of Grenfell, when you understand that this tower is next door to me, that someone I'd known since he was 14 years old died in there with his entire family, including his uh, little brother um, at the age of four, that I saw all of that in front of me, that the, the cladding from the building was in my hair and all over my body. These situations in which people have been subject to what they call social murder right in front of your eyes, you know, the fire at Grenfell Tower, for those that may not know in the United States, was due to deregulation of the construction industry, which was a bipartisan orthodoxy of neoliberal necropolitics from Labour to the Conservative Party, led to a point where you had flammable cladding put on not only um, homes, but also hospitals, cinemas, schools across the country. But this particular building, Grenfell Tower, the fire there, which spread across the, the building, at a really unnatural speed that went in different directions because of the polyethylene, which was in the center of the, the five millimeters of polyethylene in the center of the cladding, spread it across the, the, the building and 72 people died. And as I say, those people were my neighbors. And so in a situation like that, you are definitely given a choice really, either you can see the ways in which invisible violence becomes visible and neoliberalism kills people. You can start to grapple with what neoliberalism has meant in a material way for people across the country and those around you. Or you can just try and shut your eyes. But, you know, as I say, when the cladding is in your hair and people are screaming for their lives in front of you, you have, you know... If, if, if I wasn't radicalized by then, uh, not only the fire at Grenfell, but the state rollout, you have to remember our political system is not one that can assimilate the social justice that would be required for us to see people held accountable for Grenfell. Our, our, our state is something that can actually deal with the careful management of social injustice, meaning that we were heavily surveilled as a community following the fire, meaning that much will come out about what the British state did to keep social order following this massive mass death which took place on our doorstep. 
Um, so it would be great if you could play the song Ghost of Grenfell because I think it would give people a better look at that horrific, horrific situation. And this was a, just a, so Grenfell Tower is a high rise and that was where fire broke out for the reasons that Loki just explained, totally avoidable. Fire broke out and it was 24 stories and it's in West London and this happened June 14th, 2017. So let's play the video. The night our eyes changed. Rooms where love was made and unmade in a flash of the night. Rooms where memories drowned in fumes of poison. Rooms where futures were planned and the imagination of children built castles in the sky. Rooms where both the extraordinary and the mundane were lived, become forever tortured graves of ash. Oh, you political class, so servile to corporate power. To begin though, 1.30 a.m. Heard the shouting from my window. People crying in the street, watching the burning of their kinfolk. Grenfell Tower now, historically a symbol. People reaching from their windows, screaming for their lives, pleading with their cries, trying to reason with the skies. They all youth birth champions. Comparison is clear though, that every single person in that building was a hero. So don't judge our tired eyes in these trying times Cause we've been breathing in cyanide the entire night They say Yassin saw the fire and he ran inside Who thought that would be the site where he and his family died The street is like a graveyard, tombstone lurching over us Those shouting out to their windows, now wish they never woke them up Wouldn't hope your worst enemy to go in this position Now it's flowers for the dead and printing posters for the missing Come home Justice, not hear him, not hear him scream. Of all those that witness this innocence in the faces of all those on the missing list, see hopes unfulfilled, ambitions never achieved. No, I'm not the only one that sees the dead in my dreams. Strive for the bravery of Yassin, artistic gift of Khadija. Every person a unique blessing to never be repeated. Strive for the loyalty of siblings that stay behind with their parents. Pray that every loved one lost can somehow make an appearance. We are like the last conversation with their dearest until we face what they face. We will never know what fear is. We are. For survivors rehoused in the best place Not to be left sleeping in the west way for ten days We're for arrests made and debts paid And true numbers known for the families who kept faith We're for safety and homes of love They are immortalised forever The only ghosts are us, I wonder Justice, not hear him, not hear him scream. The day die, your last. 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 This corporate man slaughtered 
To whom it may concern at the Queen's Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea, where is Yasin al Wahhabi? Where is his brother Mehdi? Where is his sister Nur Huda? Where is their mother? And where is their father? Where is Noura Jamal? Where is her husband Hashim? Where is their children? Yahya, Firdaus, and Yaqub. Where is Nadir Wada? Where is Steve Power? Where is Dennis Murphy? Where is Marco Gotardi? Where is Gloria Trevisan? Where is Amal and her daughter Amaya? Where is Mohammed Nada? Where is Aliwa Jafari? Where is Khadija Sayy? Where is Maryam El Gawari? Where is her mother Sua? Tell us, tell us, tell us. Where is Rania Ibrahim and her two daughters? Where is Jessica Ubanora Miras? Where is Deborah Lambrow? Where is Mohammed Al Hajj Ali? Where is Nadia? Where is her husband Basim? Where are her daughters, Mina, Fatima, and Zainab, and their grandmother? Where is Zainab Deen and her son Jeremiah? Where is Ligayan? Where is she? Where is Mohammed Nur Tuku? Where is Tony Dissin? Where is Maria Bird? Where is Fataya El Sanusi? Where is your son Abu Faraz? Her daughter. Where is Lucas James? Where is Farah Hamdan? Where is Omar Belkani? Where is their daughter, Lina? Where is Hamid Khani? Where is Hesham Rama? Where is Raymond Bernard? Where is Isaac Powell? Where is Marjorie Vital? And your son, Where is Kumaramiya? Where is his wife, Raz? Where are their children, Abdul Hamid? Abdul Hamid and Hosna. Where are Sakina and Fatima? Where is Burki Habtoum and her son, Baru? Tell us, tell us, tell us. Where is Stefan and Where is Abdel Salam? Where are these people? Where are these people? There'll be ashes on your graves Like a phoenix we will rise The blood is on your hands There'll be ashes on your graves Like a phoenix we will rise That was very moving. So, you know, as they say, the corporation has no body to punish, no soul to condemn. And I think it's important that people remember that it was off the Kyoto agreements that these buildings were changed in this way because the aim was to lower carbon emissions. But one needs to remember one thing that when these buildings were wrapped in flammable cladding, the top shareholder in the company largely responsible for it, and in the case of Grenfell, was Arconic. This is the company which also built the F-35 fighter jet alongside BAE Systems and Lockheed Martin. The top, top shareholder in Arconic is BlackRock. Do you want to know who the top shareholder in Shell is? BlackRock. So the very same companies that profit from pushing us into climate disaster are lined up to be the very same companies 
that profit from the way in which we deal with it and we lower carbon emissions. And that's what Grenfell shows. And unfortunately, and I'll be honest with people here, Grenfell is one of the things that people talk about more than they thought about. Because if they did think about it, they would look seriously at the organizations involved and they would find ways in which those organizations could be pressured. What we needed post Grenfell was a more confrontational stance vis-a-vis these companies. However, what happened with the British state was what kicked into shape was containment policies. And containment is not a kettle and a baton or a police shield shoved in your face. Containment is a friendly arm round the shoulder and a cup of tea. That is the way you de-escalate things in communities like mine. And you have to remember also that Ian Cobain put out a beautiful article about controlled spontaneity. And when we look at the way that controlled spontaneity in disaster situations functions, the civil contingency legislation, which was passed by the Blair government, the London Resilience Forum, which is based on controlling situations like Grenfell, avoiding 10 days of rioting like they had after the police killing of Mark Duggan. How did they avoid societal breakdown and riots post Grenfell? Millions of people were heartbroken by Grenfell, yet no riots happened, yet no factories were shut down. It was only on the fourth year anniversary that Palestine Action took it upon themselves to shut down an Arconic factory. This is the type of action which actually forces the hands of the powerful, which applies pressure to the levers of power within society. And where were you when this happened? Directly outside the tower, less than 100 meters from the tower. I was watching the 21st floor where the Shukair family were at the window calling down to us and a helicopter was above our head. The helicopter flew towards them within what must have been 100 meters of the building and turned around. The people inside the building and videos have come out, Facebook live videos where they're talking about Tayara, Tayara. They're talking about the plane, the plane, the helicopter. You know what was on those helicopters? Journalists who took pictures and the police. And the police did not make the live feed of what they were getting from the helicopter available to the fire brigade. We were watching as they called to us and we were watching as they called to the helicopter and the helicopter turned around in what was a truly excruciating moment. But something else that has been written out of the history of Grenfell is the case of Omega who lives in a block next to the tower. Now, the dead body, I won't say the name of him, but it's a, a, a young man who jumped out of the tower from the 15th floor and died. His body was dragged into a neighboring block by the police and put in front of the door of this gentleman, Omega. Now, when Omega came out of his flat, he took a picture of the body and put it online. If he hadn't have done that, then the family of this young man who died wouldn't have known that he died. Now, what happened to Omega 
Omega was contacted by a journalist and set up to be arrested. He served three months in prison for taking that picture. We were treated as criminals. The community was spied on, not the companies. When all is said and done, it will be seen that the community that went through this, that lost their neighbors, that lost their loved ones, were treated like criminals by the state more than the companies that caused this horrific fire and loss of life. Well, thank you. This is amazing. Anything else you want to make sure that you mention because you've been so generous with your time? No, it's okay. It feels like it's been two minutes. I'm sure we could continue this conversation for much longer. Thank you. And I appreciate uh, you giving me a platform. What I would say to people is please sign the petition, the open letter to Spotify. And I appreciate all of the support. And thank you very much, Katie, for the platform. Thanks very much. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Loki. Come back. I will do. So much more to talk about with you. 100%. Okay, great. Thank 100%. you. The best. Great. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash The Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.